It's wonderful to be in your lounge. Uh, I wish I was there in person uh, to be able to make some sort of appropriately complimentary comment about your scatter cushions um, or to be able to see if you've now committed to the church in pajamas movement, uh, if you're one of the 5% who actually wears custom-made pajamas or if you're one of the rest of us who just wears an old t-shirt from team building exercises at your old work or something like that. Uh, but regardless of the uh, conditions you find yourselves in, we are together, as Ross was saying in the beginning. Uh, and we're starting a new series, which we're really excited about. And it's a new series that's got nothing to do with corona. Uh, this is a hugely important moment in history. But there's some other important stuff to talk about as well. And so normal programming will continue. Uh, and we're going to trust that what God had put on our hearts to, uh, to share, to look at, to expose ourselves to from his word, that that's going to end up being exactly what we need in this season. Difference maker. Uh, what is that? I suppose the concept we're trying to reach for uh, is that sort of X factor, that thing that makes Christianity what it is, that makes our faith, our message unique. And to me, the, the main point of difference, the main thing that this faith has, I mean, there are many faiths that believe in one God, there are many faiths that will give you some sort of moral advice, some great stories, some wonderful myths and legends. What's going on with this one? What's the unique thing here? And I think that as you look through scripture, you get the impression that God thinks he has one clear answer to basically every problem you've got. You know, that like one cure-all, that, uh, that one simple answer to whatever the question is. When I was at university, the simple answer to every question was Chuck Norris. Uh, it didn't really matter what the question, what the problem, the answer was Chuck Norris. Uh, we're not talking about that. I do believe um, Chuck Norris got corona. Uh, he has the virus. Quarantine was obviously tough, uh, but we're happy to say the virus is making a full recovery. Yeah, yeah I wasn't sure about that either. Anyway, um, one simple answer to whatever question you've got. Uh, what might that be? And I'm talking about a specific kind of questions. Uh, you're trying to get something started. You want to build something beautiful in this world, but it seems like anything beautiful uh, or, or valuable or worth building is opposed at every turn. Or perhaps you're trying to kick some habit once and for all or break through some pain uh, and some lasting memory or trauma, or perhaps you're just trying to parent some like, likable children, and that just seems like the hardest thing on earth, or whatever it is, uh, that you, you feel some lack, some, some limitation on yourself, some sin or struggle or sickness that you're trying to break through. What is the answer to those kinds of questions? And as I say, I think God has one simple answer to all of them, and it's not try harder. Um, isn't that great news? It's not try harder. It's not, it's your fault, just back up. The answer also is not, it doesn't matter, I love you just the way you are. Interestingly, many of us may like to think that that's the answer. And it is true that God loves you no matter who you are and where you are and where you're at. But I think he loves you better than that. Because how dreadful, actually, if you were to come to God saying, I have suffered some kind of tragedy, I have been hurt in some way, and that's caused a limp in my soul, and it causes me to hurt other people, and God would just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, it should matter. Of course it should matter. If he really loves us, then our brokenness should be healed. I'm, I suppose, getting onto a bit of a bandwagon here, but the, the movement towards authenticity has some roots and some really important stuff, but to just celebrate who I am right now as who I ought to be is doff. Because to say that is to say that who you are right now is exactly what you were designed to be, and that's just clearly not true. Uh, authenticity, to me, is the enemy of growth a lot of the time. And God loves you enough not to just say, I love you how you are, I'm gonna leave you how you are. He has much more in store for you. And so the answer to all these questions of limit or lack or suffering or sickness or sin is not try harder and it's not, it doesn't matter. Are you ready? 
This is what the answer is, because clearly it does matter. God looks at whatever limit, whatever lack, whatever suffering, whatever sin, and he says, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. I, I don't know why he says that. I mean, that's just the most incredible thing to say. I don't know why we deserve for him to say something like that to us, but that's actually what God says. He looks at the problem, whatever it might be, and he says, okay, let's swap. I wanna prove this to you out of scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 verse nine is one of many I could have taken you to, and it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might gain his riches, that he would take your poverty on himself and you would have his riches, this incredible exchange. Um, Another place we can go to where we'll stick around for a little longer is Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What business do we have expecting God to respond to our failings like this? But he does. I don't know why he would choose to treat me like this. I know myself. This just doesn't seem fair. But he says, all your weakness, Paul, all your suffering, which is caused oftentimes by your own sin and other times by other people's sin, all the lack of peace and the strife that is caused by our weakness, we end up at war with our own guilty, striving, longing souls. We end up at war with one another. We end up at war with God. All of that stuff. He says, I will take not only your sin, but all the consequences for it on myself. And in return, I'll give you everything that was due to me. Let's trade. Let's swap. It's just amazing. It's, it's incredible. And I can only think of three reasons why you may not be experiencing this in your life right now. Because this is what Scripture says is available. That whatever the problem, whatever the question, the answer is, I'll trade you. That you get to go to the cross of Christ, the place where he was crucified, that moment in history, and you get to claim that as your right to trade places with Jesus, to get what was due to him and for him to take what was due to you. Why would you not experience that in your life? One, and I think the classic main reason why we wouldn't experience that is this, you didn't know. You've not taken up the offer. You weren't aware, or if you were aware, you kind of put it in the box somewhere as like, oh, well, that's, that's a lovely fairy tale, but that just can't be true. Perhaps you've just not really believed this. And this isn't even to say that you're not a Christian. I think many Christians don't believe this. I think I'm gonna spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how to believe this. That part of why you might not be experiencing this incredible swap, this difference make, maker in your life, this trade, is because we just haven't really wrapped our heads around the idea that he's saying, whatever you've got, I want, and I wanna give you whatever I have. And knowing that, and believing that, and believing that all the way down, is probably to me the main reason why we might not experience this trade. Another reason, though, that's important to just mention quickly before we dive into a specific trade I wanna talk about today, is that this trade is not always immediate. And that's important. Um, There are moments when my child wants a story and he wants to be read a story right now or experience a story right now and the quickest thing to do would be to like turn on the TV. But I have some relational agendas for him. And so there may be a lag, there may be a delay between him asking for the story and me going, well, let's choose a book because I want to sit and read a story with you. I don't want to just put you in front of the TV and be separated from you. I suspect some of the times when we feel like there's a delay or a lag between, all right, Jesus, I want what is due to you and I want to give what, should rightfully be mine to you in the space of sickness or whatever that might be, if there's a lag, it's not because God's just bad at admin, like he's just behind on his emails. It's because he's relational. Because I think sometimes God has relational agendas for you. Uh, and he wants to spend some time with you. And, 
and work on some stuff in your heart. And, and if there's a bit of a lag that allows him to actually be some stuff to you that he otherwise wouldn't be able to be if he just immediately initiated the swap. I think that's the minority of times, but I think that sometimes happens. The third reason, either you just didn't know this trade was, up, was on the table. Second reason, there's a little lag, it's not immediate, and that's okay, it's because God's relational and he wants to do some specific stuff. The third reason why you might not be experiencing this trade is because you're asking the wrong question. You've misdiagnosed the problem. Uh, you, you see in movies and some sort of petrol stations, those vending machines where you can go and get medicine out of them. I always find that like a terrifying idea that you can just turn up and get medicine out of a vending machine. But God is not interested in just handing out pain relief. He loves you far too much for that. And so I think from my own experience in my own life and friends of mine, it's like, God, I want this pay raise. I want more money. And essentially, you're asking for a handout. And your father is saying, I have given you the ability to create wealth. If I just give you that pay rise, I stop you starting the business that I've put inside your heart and actually exercising your creativity to generate wealth and employ others. So if there's a lag, if there's a delay, it's because he's wanting you to diagnose the, the issue correctly. I know in some cases, this may sound strange. Just go with me. Sickness, God, heal me from this thing. And yet your father is going, just come a little closer, just chat to me because I want you to understand that that bitterness and unforgiveness you're holding to so-and-so is so compromising your immune system, so messing up your wiring that you're getting sick and it's got nothing to do with anything physical. It's got something to do with this unforgiveness issue that needs to be solved. And so I just think in, in some cases, if you're not experiencing an immediate trade with Jesus, it may be that there's some relational agenda that God has for you, or it may just be that you're asking the wrong question and that you would have an opportunity to lean into your father uh, and diagnose correctly. The assumption behind all of this though, anytime I'm going, well, I'm sick and Jesus isn't and I wanna swap, the assumption is not God is saying try harder. The assumption is not he's just holding out on you. The assumption is not well, I must be blowing it. It's always, okay, well, the default setting is because of the cross of Christ, we can swap. And so I'm assuming that that's the case and then we get to walk with our Father to figure out why, if any reason, there might be a delay for that. But the main job for all of us is just to believe this. So, we're going to uh, look at a specific trade now. Uh, one of the coolest things, I think, that Jesus swaps with us, and uh, it's actually a really important one because it's the one that sort of opens up many of the others. In Kloof recently, we've been speaking a fair amount about, uh, I mean, there are all sorts of psychological terms for this, but unworthiness is kind of what we've been describing it as. Um, that feeling in some way that you're not worthy, that there's something wrong with you. You know, you can be rejected, and rejection is dreadful. Rejection is when someone else neglects your needs. But at some point, that actually, that actually gets inside your identity, and it's no longer that others are just neglecting my needs, it's that I actually at some point am rejecting my own needs, that I, that I think I don't deserve to get what it is uh, that I'm longing for, that you start to feel, it's not just that, you know, you've gone for your fourth job interview, and it's not just that there's not much work out there, it's that you're actually unemployable. Or another year has gone by and you've gone to another four weddings and none of them were yours, and you stop thinking people just have bad taste, and you start to think, maybe I've passed my sell-by date, maybe the problem's not with them. Or you've tried to kick, up sm kick smoking or kick some other habit for the fifth time and you've fallen back on it and you start to think, it's not just that this is hard, it's, I think I actually have an addictive personality or something like that. When, when bad things aren't just bad things that happen to me or even mistakes that I've made, I've done this thing that wrong, but actually there is something wrong with me, then rejection starts to turn into shame. And shame is a, is a universal experience. We're all insecure about something. We're all feeling at some level we don't deserve something wonderful. And this is one of the huge things that Jesus wants to swap with us. You know, if you 
believe you're unworthy of something in a relationship. That actually puts the very thing you longing for, but you've believed you don't deserve, that puts it totally off limits to you. Once you've decided, I'm not worthy of that thing, I don't have the right to ask or expect that, it's now off limits to you because you're essentially choosing to enforce this rule that I'm not worthy of that, I don't deserve that, this is somehow not due to me. And then the other person in the relationship, if it's me with you, like, like, no matter how much I want you to feel loved, if you think you don't deserve to feel loved, I can't make you feel it. No matter how much I want you to feel free or want you to have the experience of fun or whatever else, if you've decided you don't deserve it, you don't get it. And God respects your choices too. And so in this space of shame and rejection and feeling not good enough, etc., how does it actually work in the trade? Okay, so what's the opposite of feeling ashamed or feeling unworthy? Well, it'll be feeling accepted and glorious. Jesus has this covered. Uh, John 1 verse 14 says, then the word became flesh, right? This is really famous. Uh, and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, John's not just being poetic here. He's not just spouting words. When he says he's seen Jesus' glory, I think he's thinking back to a moment. Jesus takes a couple of his best mates and they climb a mountain uh, far in the north. And they head up this mountain. It's just the few of them, um, Peter, James, and John. And you can read this account in Matthew. We'll, we'll have it up in a moment. And they have hiked with Jesus for six days. And eventually, they get up to this high mountain by themselves. And there Jesus was transfigured before them. Now just listen to what goes on. Okay, so actually put yourself there. You're on a mountain, you've been walking, you're with Jesus, he's the same height as you, same build, he's a human being just like you, and then suddenly his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. I mean, that's just, that's wild. Just then, uh, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, so one of the greatest saviors and leaders and heroes of your nation, and one of the greatest prophets of your nation, turn up, and they start chatting to Jesus. Neither of their faces are shining, you'll notice. Neither of their clothes are glowing white. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you like, we'll put up three shelters. What a ridiculous thing to say. Like he's just panicking in the moment to try to like, well, let me just build you a shack. Like that's not what's needed, Peter. Um, But you can forgive him for being so overwhelmed. And while, if that's not enough, okay, so you see Jesus start to actually emanate glory And then you see the greatest hero of your land and savior and the greatest prophet of your land turn up and have some kind of respect for him and actually seem to be lower in rank than your mate who's giving off glory. Then you hear, let me just read from verse five. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard that, they fell face down to the ground terrified. And then Jesus said, get up, don't be afraid, it's okay. You know where else you see a bright shining cloud in scripture? Is by day and night when God leads his people through the desert, just by sheer force of his glory. When John says, you know, the word became flesh and came to dwell among us and we've seen his glory, he literally means we've seen his glory. And not only this potent glory, but then we've heard the father say, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Summary of all of this, Jesus is totally secure. Jesus is totally glorious. Jesus is totally accepted. There has never been, can never be, will never be anyone who feels less ashamed on earth than Jesus Christ, surely. And yet, let's go back to Isaiah 53 and read a little more than we read earlier. Speaking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely 
He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we were healed. We read that earlier. Oh, what's going on here? The glorious one, the absolutely accepted one, has been turned into someone worthy of total pity and sympathy. Jesus has become totally rejected, totally ashamed. I'm not sure if you know the crucifixion account, but remember the soldiers bartered for Jesus' clothes? Um, all of them? Just think through the ramifications of what that means. If people are buying all the clothing that you used to own, then clearly you're not wearing any. So Jesus has been beaten to the point of, he's, he's experiencing the symptoms of shock. You can imagine, he's shivering, he's feeling hot and cold and broken. He's still got spit running down his face from where people have spat on him. They've now nailed him to a cross. It's excruciating. He can't cover it. He's stretched out with nowhere to cover himself and they've just pinned him on a street corner where people are wandering past, hurling insults at him and going, oh, what a loser. The picture of shame, the picture of rejection. And if that's not bad enough, he then feels all of your shame and guilt and my shame and guilt and all of the, the actual sin that you and I have committed gets put on Jesus somehow, we don't understand the mechanics of that, but because of that, then when he cries out his last prayer on earth, his father ignores him. God can't be in the presence of that sin, and so he is left waiting and not getting any answer from the one who years before had said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Absolutely alone, absolutely ashamed, absolutely rejected. See, Jesus has already made his half of the trade which is why it can say in Romans 8, verse 17, now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also might share in his glory. Hebrews 10, verse two says that Jesus brought many sons to glory. Friends, wherever you're sitting in your lounge right now, there is a trade available to you where you get to say, all this rejection and shame, all the stuff that's been done to me that's made me feel weak and unworthy, all the stuff that I have done which has confirmed my suspicion that I'm weak and unworthy, all of that has been put on someone else and punished already, been bought by someone else, it belongs to someone else. And this incredibly glorious Jesus, whose face shone like the sun, who receives the incredible affirmation of the Father, that's actually available to you. I wanna close with a little sort of Exercise and imagination, if you're okay with that. Um, I don't know where you live, but you're on lockdown, so you're gonna be there for a while. So let's use your home as the scene for this imaginary story we're gonna tell. Your house is a bit dilapidated and knackered. You don't have much money at the best of times, and now it feels like there's a recession coming and corona, and so you don't have any money to paint it or sort it out. You've got this useless car that's breaking down the whole time. You can never really afford to fill the tank with petrol and it sits in your garage and you try and get it going but it's a source of embarrassment and frustration to you. That's where you live. And next door to you is a beautiful home. Uh, an author lives there. Okay, so we're being imaginative. Just go with me here. The lawn is amazing. He's got all this like well-established shrubbery, is that the word? Uh, foliage, I don't know. Fruit trees, etc. It's, it's a beautiful place. And you're not allowed to get too close to him, but you sort of chat over the wall. And he says to you one day, look, I, I just have this, I, I see that your car gives you some issues. Um, I just want you to have mine. I don't have much need for it really, and uh, I'd like to swap. Um, and I know we can't chat. I'm just gonna come down and put the keys in your, in your letterbox, your, you know, at the front gate. Just grab them whenever you feel like it. Just let, yourselves in, let yourself in with the remote. Take the car, right, it's yours if you want it. I've left the logbook and ownership papers on the front seat. And then um, 
a day or two later, you still haven't picked up the car because you're just feeling so overwhelmed, like this just can't be right. And he says to you, um, look, I, I know that you struggle. I don't mean to, to pry. I don't, I don't say this with any kind of condescension, but like, I know that money's tight. Um, and I've just arranged with my publisher and I've just transferred all the royalties into your name uh, for the, my previous uh, bestsellers. So you, you should be all right for a while. Um, but I've also got a few of these manuscripts. They're nearly done. Um, and I just want to give them to you. You're welcome to publish them under my name uh, so that that just helps with the sales. It's not going to be for your glory. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I'm just going to give you the kind of structure of, of some novels and I'm, I'm happy to coach you if you'd like so that you can actually release these and in future earn an income off them. I want to... I just want to do this for you. Yeah, I know I'm not sure how I'll make ends meet. Don't worry about me. I mean, I've been well off for so long. It's really fine um, for me to struggle for a bit. I, don't worry about me. I just really want you to have this. And you're kind of going, no, 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 it can't be. No, it's not. But a part of you is also going, wow, this is the ticket. out. Of, this changes my life. A way to earn a living. Like, and then this might get a little trippy. Imagine this part, okay? So then you're chatting to your neighbor, and he says, I can see there's pain in you. I can see something happened at some stage uh, that hurt. And it's caused you to overcompensate in ways that where you know you've hurt other people. Just tell me the story. And you go, yeah, you don't want to hear the story. And you go, no, just tell me the story. And you tell him the story. And somehow, as you're telling him the story about the ways that you've messed up and the ways you've been mistreated, you sort of see that the pain of those memories like transfers onto him, like he actually feels those experiences. And you notice him getting the furrow in his brow that you normally walk around with, and you notice him starting to struggle with the same addictions, temptations, whatever, that flow out of your weakness. And somehow you notice in the telling that this is now just ancient history, and this is no longer true of you. And it blows your mind, but somehow he's just absorbed all of your, your past that hurts you. And then finally, um, the Institute for the whatever communicable diseases in our country turns up at the gate because actually what you didn't mention at the beginning of the story is you've not been feeling very well and you have a diagnosis coming and you think some quarantine is ahead. Right, let's just keep this a really realistic story. And so the person arrives with a positive diagnosis to take you off to quarantine and suffering and who knows what. And your neighbor says, hey, look, just before, just quickly, here are the keys to my place that diagnosis is for me, and somehow takes the diagnosis on himself and gets taken away to quarantine and death and poverty and who knows what. I don't know how good your imagination is, but can you kind of grasp how that might feel and how tempting it would be actually to just keep living in your own house and just go, oh, it's just too much, it can't be right. It can't, it's just not fair. I, I, who am I to accept this gift? And yet you have the keys to the house, the car, the future, the royalties. There's a whole different way to live and it's available. Friends, what, would, what a tragedy it would be if in spite of having access to the cross and this incredible exchange, we go, well, my shame and my rejection feels comfortable. I'll just, I'll just live here. Let's pray. It's gonna be a simple prayer. I'm simply gonna ask you to speak to God and tell him that all the shame and rejection and unworthiness you feel, you're gonna give it to Jesus and you're gonna claim all of his acceptance and glory. That's all we're gonna pray. It's a simple prayer, but you're gonna absolutely mean this with me. And God, we don't know why we deserve this. I have no idea why you are so loving and so kind as to do this, but Lord Jesus, I give you all the ways that I've messed up, all the ways that I'm weak, all the good projects I've started but been too lazy to finish, all the sins I've committed, all the hurt that they've caused, me and others. 
all the ways that I'm really not that great, and if they were to know, they might not like me or trust me. If they were to see that, I would feel ashamed. I take all of that stuff, and I give that to you. And Lord Jesus, I claim, I don't know how I can do this, but I claim because of your cross, your glory and your acceptance. I'm gonna take the keys. Amen.